1: Okay, we are recording. I'm on the line with Nick, and we are doing episode 207. Okay. How you doing, Nick?
0: Tired. How are you doing?
1: I am the opposite of tired. It's funny. We're actually... Well, so we're both sick. Probably caught the same thing. It turns out that I, according to a doctor, I have had... I must have... <laughs> I probably had bronchitis sometime in the last six weeks. But he said, you're, from what you're telling me, he says, it sounds like you were too busy mm-hmm. to notice. And basically, I've had this like persistent cough for about four weeks, and um, he was like, "So your your body basically forgot to stop coughing." So, <laughs> <coughs> excuse me, I am on a combination of steroids, systemic steroids, and uh, z antibiotics, and I have not been on steroids literally since the last time I was inflamed with Crohn's, and I gotta say, I feel pretty good, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, I don't know what's going on with you. you just- <laughs> it's like,
0: it's like I did like the Hal Edrod, uh, what's his name? How, how Howl- Rod, Yeah, how yeah, from like Miracle Morning. I've been up since like three, but I didn't mean to be, and wasn't able to go back to bed. So I just cranked through like an 18 hour day.
1: Mm, sounds like Dave Asprey. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, I just saw a picture on Instagram of Dave Asprey. Uh, he was getting stem cells injected into him, apparently. Dave, if you're listening, that looked ridiculously painful. He said that he passed out twice. <laughs> apparently, extracting bone marrow is like one of the most painful things you can experience. Um, so he passed out twice. Yeah, I saw that Instagram, too. He said that his bone marrow is in good shape, though. So. Mm-hmm. Yes, delicious yummy bone marrow. And also, by the way, everyone, welcome back to episode 207 of the Less Doing Podcast. And today, I interviewed Jesse Yandel, who is... I, literally, he is an American hero. The guy is an incredible warrior, was, was active military. Now he's a non-commissioned officer. And is just, it was just such a great interview. It, it, everything having to do with the military just like, fascinates me, I think, for a number of reasons. And it was a really cool conversation. And, and, and Nick and I both met him together at Fort Bragg. when We were there together.
0: Super nice guy. I mean, you'd never, you'd never know how much of a badass that guy is if you just met him down the street, you know?
1: one of the things that he talks about, which you guys will hear in the interview, but it, it was particularly important to me, is that he, he finds himself to be very good at compartmentalizing. And without going into any details, really, because you'll hear in the interview, he talks about times when he basically was, quote unquote, on target four hours after arriving in country or in theater. And then four hours after being on target, he was back on a plane coming home. And the next day he was driving his twins to school. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy uh, the, the way he talks about it. It's, it's, it's amazing. So uh, anyway, let's start with some links. So I, I have this actually, I, I was going to go in the other order, but I interviewed Seth Godin today. So we are uh, six, I think, episodes away from that interview, which it was so cool. It was so much fun to interview Seth. And he, uh, among other things, he writes a blog post every single day. And there was one from uh, about a week ago called Prep Spec. Fit and finish. And and Nick, I think you'll appreciate this a lot. So he says that in some settings, more than 90% of the time and effort invested isn't the actual quote unquote work, but in getting set up, debugging, and then polishing the work. So heart surgery, for example, might take five hours to perform, but the actual procedure might only take 30 minutes. A piece of code may take a few hours to create, but days or weeks to be specced, reviewed, tested, and then ready for the public. Dinner at a fine restaurant is mostly cleaning, chopping, mise en place, and service, not the part we see on the plate itself. So... For sure. Yeah. no. So first of all, as the work that you and I are doing together now with optimizing everything. I mean, like the dashboard that we use, the systems we set up, those take minutes sometimes, literally, but then we can spend weeks. No, but like we're able to do it because we have
0: years of experience in optimization and automation. And we take all those years of experience, which is our prep time. And we're able to build the company in 48 hours because of our, you know, but it wasn't really 48 hours. It was years in the making of all
1: the experience that we have. Right. It's like the overnight success kind of thing. Well, and, and so this, and he, he condones this and he says that when in doubt, spend half as much time as you expect on the thing that most people do and far more time on the spec, on the quality control, on the soft stuff, the stuff that actually matters. And so this is really interesting to me because I actually didn't mean to start off with this big of a philosophical discussion, but this is almost like the true beauty of entrepreneurship in some ways where the final product is really not like the things that that ever the things that people give you the accolades for the things that people love like when people praise us for the great work that our virtual assistants do that's it's like that's it's great and we know that that has a big impact but that's not the big work you know like it's it's and and probably in some ways the the geeky stuff that you and I do the tweaking the optimization everything is only really appreciated by the two of us
0: yeah <laughs> in, the, in the world
1: <laughs> yeah i mean but, but but it's true and and, and it sustains us when you say i mean i love the work that we do and it's fun and also we, i've talked about this before on the podcast before you were on here with me but there are times when, as you know, I found something that would save us three seconds and I like message you in a giddy way and you respond in the same way. And that's, that's very unique. Um, and, and no one will ever see that, you know, it's almost, it's like the guy behind the guy kind of thing. Yeah. I like being that guy behind the guy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and what's, what's interesting too is like we both have very similar thought processes on automation and we come from completely different backgrounds and you know, I come from algorithmic trading and automating, systems for trading stocks and you come from personal productivity and
1: I come from construction (laughs) and
0: construction and, you know, building all this like automation stuff out of a necessity for your life. And it's funny how coming from such different backgrounds, we both, you know, have built an auto, like a business automation company and think about it very similarly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but again, the point of all this is that, you know, a lot of times you're, you're, you're going to get praise for the thing that you don't, Necessarily think is the thing that deserves praise, which for some people can be very challenging. And and I know this is an issue with you, Nick, where there's things that should excite you, but those are not the things that necessarily get you excited about the work that we do. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, and we obviously so not not to like have like this is not like an inside story, but Nick and I with the work that we do, we're under very very strict NDAs with a lot of our clients, Um, and. It's it's almost not even exciting to us at this point to say like oh we worked with this person which is good since we're under such strict NDAs like for us it's really just seeing the that little effect of getting someone inbox zero and all that stuff and it's just for you for those of you listening who are who are entrepreneurs you just recognize that that you like sometimes you're just you're not going to get praise from the outside world because they're not going to see it the same way you do. So.
0: Or, or even like, like Calvin, like there's things that I find brilliant about how I've deconstructed and thought about in a theoretical sense, what a plan is. But when I show it to people, they might think that the time picker is the most innovative, cool thing. Versus like, for me, I'm, I'm looking at the logic as the innovative, cool thing. Right? Like, that's, for me, like what really took a lot of the, the effort, but people perceive things differently, you know?
1: So yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So moving on, there is an article on note, which is K N O T E. And it says, want to be more creative. Don't sleep. So I've talked about this before. People tend to be more creative when they're sleep deprived or at least tired because you're less likely to shoot down bad ideas for the most part, but they actually did studies or there was a study that they're talking about on this about actual sleep deprivation. Uh, and it's an interesting idea. I wouldn't recommend that you necessarily do it. uh, But one thing is that if you are presented with a very difficult problem, and this is a tough one, this is a really tough one. And you have to think about this because there's a lot of times where you might be presented with a business problem or a, uh, you know, you have to figure out a new way to do marketing or some new way of attacking an, an issue. And it's not necessarily like if you just you know, break into a more creative mode, you're going to get it. Sometimes that's not it. Sometimes you need to collaborate with someone else. Sometimes you need some tool that's not at your disposal. So it's not like this is like an end all be all, Um, you know, but, but if you have that problem, that's nagging at you and you know that the answer is in there somewhere, it just, you can't get it out for some reason. Then you may be in a little bit of a rut. And in that situation, yes, being sleepy actually may help. The only problem I've seen with that and personally as well as with others anecdotally is that it becomes very hard to capture those ideas accurately because the truth is, is that you can hack this. There's a way to hack this, which is to get drunk. Um, I don't know about getting high necessarily, but getting drunk is a hack to this because it's the same way it reduces inhibitions. But again, it becomes very difficult to capture those ideas in a cohesive way so that you can actually make use of them when you're not in that state anymore. I Um, think
0: it's really like based on the individual. No, like I like I'm exhausted right now, and I can guarantee you I'm not going to do anything creative yeah. that's going to be worthwhile for us tonight. But some people, uh, uh, like in the shower, they have like, one of those waterproof notepads, and they find the shower to be a great place to be creative. Yeah. I personally like working out in the morning, having a cup of coffee, and then using that at that time.
1: Speaking of that, I have an interesting insight. So, coffee and I have a weird relationship, an interesting relationship. I love the taste of coffee; like, I love the taste of coffee, and then the stronger the better. But um, I am not—I am a fast, menta- I am a fast caffeine metabolizer. So, I caffeine doesn't have a huge effect on me. But I've been in the habit for a while now that I sort of wake up, and within twenty minutes or so of waking up, I, I have a cup of coffee, and. I read this article that was saying that you shouldn't have caffeine before 10 a.m. basically because you're, you're going to like, r- the, the wave will crash too quickly, essentially if you have it earlier. And I tried that today and for the last couple of days. And um, actually it was interesting. It could also be because I'm on steroids, but the, uh, the coffee seemed to sustain me better. Why are you moving around so much? because I'm, I'm sleep deprived. Uh-huh. But the,
0: w- the way to cure the wave is you just keep drinking once you finish ride
1: that wave. Um, but <clears throat> anyway, so if you delay your coffee a little, it's almost like intermittent fasting, I guess. <laughs> all right. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, all right. By the way, I should remind everybody that if you're out and about, and you'd like to join the less doing it newsletter, you can text the word do less to three three seven three three. That's do less to three three seven three three. Now this is one I need you to describe, actually, Nick. This is called the Workbot for Slack because you played with this more than I did.
0: Oh, these like automated things that that uh, message everyone on the team.
1: No, this is the one that lets you. Yeah, yeah, right. So you, yeah, it's like Zapier within Slack.
0: Yeah, there's a bunch. Of, there's a bunch of them. There's Howdy. There's Geekbot. Um, basically, no,
1: no, no, oh, no. no, no, no. Not Work. This is this is from Workado. Remember Workado?
0: Oh, oh, the the Zapier one. I to be honest, I haven't played around enough with it to give like a proper debriefing.
1: Okay, so well, essentially, the way that it works is it's like Zapier, except that you're essentially talking to a bot to create the automation in Slack. So it's pretty cool. Um, so basically, what happens is like you get a new user in Intercom. And it says, do you want to know more about this person? You say, yes. So then it'll get you information on that person from Salesforce, for example. Um, And then it says, well, do you want, or, oh no, or like from public sources. And it says, do you want to add this person to Salesforce? You say, yes. And then it says, okay, done. They did that. And now they want to know, do you want to add them to MailChimp? Yes. So basically what this is almost like is you're walking through a zap in some ways in real time in Slack. Which is kind of cool, depending on if, you, especially if you're doing this for like lead generation, because you can decide how one should go to another.
0: Yeah, that that is cool. Um, didn't they have something with text message integration that we were looking at? Or Was that another company? I think that's another company. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I have to look at this Workato again. Yeah,
1: definitely take a look at Workato. <laughs> uh, okay, so this is another one. This is there's been like a crop of these that have come up, or I guess cropped up. Uh, this one's called Truebill, and basically you can find, track, and cancel all of your paid subscriptions with one. So what it does is it looks at your credit card statements or your checking statements, and it basically looks for repetitive charges. So it's not 100 percent accurate. I'll be honest, uh, because not every like certain things might have an annual charge, and it's not. Uh, for example, it, when I did it, it picked up my annual Amex, you know, ninety five dollar or whatever it is. Uh, membership fee, which obviously I'm not going to cancel, but it is pretty cool. It shows you all the things that are recurring and then you can just click cancel and then they take care of it. So Uh, doesn't BillGuard do that as well though, or no? BillGuard will show you the recurring ones. Absolutely. But it doesn't let you do one click canceling. So this is very, very specifically for so for cancellation of subscription billings. Um, and it's funny cause there's like six that have come out in the last couple of weeks. There's another one called trim that I just talked about too. Huh, that's cool. So I'm, I'm sure like you can see my screen right now, right? Yep. Okay. So it's saying I have 17 active subscriptions. Uh, and then, but so this is the thing, like subscriptions are like Amazon prime. Okay. Fair enough. But Con Edison, you know, that's my electrical bill. So obviously I'm not canceling that. Uh, but, uh, fancy hands. <laughs> I th- so I, I'm having, I'm really yeah, yeah, struggling yeah.
0: with it. <laughs> it's an aggressive monthly, uh monthly subscription sum that you have there. <laughs> uh,
1: uh, yeah, well, no, no. Yeah. $800 is saying, well, but see, but that's including my electrical bill.
0: So yeah. Okay. I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to sign up right now and see where I'm at.
1: Yeah. So, Oh, it's so like Wufu, for example, New York times, digital, Netflix, MailChimp, that kind of stuff. Um, so it's actually not too bad. Uh, but, it, it's it, well. It's so. It's a, oh, And then they have bills and utilities, but I got that wrong. Obviously, they didn't put uh, Con Ed in there. And they have recurring payments, which are not necessarily a subscription. So it's just it's a it's a good way to look at this stuff. I think it's a good overview. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the next one, I think I posted this a while ago, but it's it's called Flow State. It's a writing app that uh, basically you ha- you can write, and if you stop writing, it disappears. So you have five seconds basically to start writing. And then, uh, as soon as you stop, you—I'm sorry—if you stop for more than five seconds, then everything you wrote disappears. So that is pretty intense, I have to say. And that will definitely keep you writing. And Seth Godin had a really interesting take on this too, which he was basically like, if you want to be a writer or you want to write, just start writing and keep writing, and eventually the good stuff will come out. And I don't disagree. Like writing is a habit, whether you're good at it or not. And this is a pretty interesting way to do it it's
0: funny because like that's the opposite with like coding like you don't want to just like code and code like you if you're not in the right state of mind you should just stop with coding and take a break
1: yeah right right so obviously this is not not for coding um okay so two more this one's called circa now nick we've talked about this one you're, you i know you're gonna like this one hmm this is finally an app that you say where you are and where you're going, and then you can search for stuff along the route.
0: Oh, my God. We could have used
1: this from Atlantic City. I know. Now, anybody listening who's ever been on a car trip or ever used any kind of GPS, I don't know why this has always been such a difficult thing, but you'll be like driving and you search for a a gas station even, and it'll give you one that's four miles behind you off the main road. You know, so like this is circa. Um, and basically you can search for destinations along the way. I, I mean, and, and by the way, it doesn't matter what mode of transportation. If you're on a car, car bike or walking, you say what, how you're doing it and it'll have the route and it'll things, have things along the way. Very cool. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was uh, sorely needed. And the last one that I want to tell you about. So, my,
0: my, my friend at Google, though, did say that they're working on that at Google.
1: I mean, I'd be, some, I'd be shocked if they weren't. No. You know? um, so uh, this website is a, a, this website's called markandangel.com. Have you ever heard of this one? No. It's a very popular website. It's called Mark and Angel Hack Life. It, it's, it tends to be very, um, what's the word? It's not spiritual, but this is a little bit like woo-woo sometimes. But they do have very thought-provoking articles every now and then. And this one, I actually agreed with everything they said. So it was 10 things enormously productive people refused to do. So the first one was they refused to wait around. You know, it's basically always taking action. There was. Did you see the video the other day from Jack Ma, the the CEO of Alibaba? Uh, which which video? A new He's one. No. Talking about not selling to, to poor people. <laughs> no, I didn't see that. It was actually a really fantastic video. I don't know if there was something lost in translation, but basically what he was saying was all of the excuses that uh, certain people come up with, and he basically said the difference between poor people and successful people is that poor people are always waiting.
0: Well, he did say that if you're 35 and haven't made it, it's your own fault, no matter
1: where you came from. Right. He did say that too. Um, so, you know, maybe it's a little harsh, but at the same time he he was saying like, for example, if you tell them that it's a, it's a new business opportunity, they, they think that it's a scam. If you tell them that it's traditional business, they say they have no experience. You know, if you say that, uh, it doesn't, uh, if, you, if you say it's free, they don't believe it. You know, if they say it's only a little bit of money, they say they can't make enough money. So he so there's always, they're always waiting. So this is, this is good. So productive people refuse to wait around. And you know, we, so I, I've written about this in the blog before, how I, I'm I'm a big proponent of doing it like right now when something comes up, you know, immediately not waiting. And even if that means deferring something, by the way, because that's taking action also. But like, even for example, we were walking out of our house the other day, which is always kind of stressful when we have all of the kids and we're trying to get things going. And one of the strollers broke. And before we got to the lobby, I had placed a I had placed a request with service, the app service, to request a replacement for the stroller. And I'd taken a picture and everything, literally within you know twenty seconds. And that could have waited, and it could have been just been lost. But otherwise, I'm getting it done and starting to work on. And it's that kind of thing, like, and it's off my mind. I don't have to think about it
0: i mean you you know the way i think i'm the same way it it kills me it kills me like when you tell someone to do something that's going to take 30 seconds and then they don't do it and then they forget to do it it's like It to me it's like inexcusable
1: exactly so that's one thing uh and then so the next one which again this is rare that i agree with all this but it was like they refuse to play the blame game so either you own your present situation or it will own you and this is something we see, I feel like we see this a lot with the, the VA service, whether it's dealing with our own VAs or dealing with outsiders or even with customers and then us, you know, and a lot of times it's just better to just take the responsibility and run with it. And by the way, with our recent situation with Indonero, for those listening, um, Indonero is, was a very, very difficult company to be, for us to work with. I don't know if everyone's had that situation but Ingeniero is a company that does, it's like mint for business, but they also do accounting and they have CPAs and stuff. And we just, every possible problem that could go wrong could go wrong. Well, they,
0: they have like first year accounting majors from like uh, some tier three schools.
1: Yeah. So basically advising on a complex tax situations. And, and I don't think that they owned up to what they did wrong in this situation. And the truth is like with us, Things go wrong with the VA service. Things go wrong in business. And what are you going to do other than just, than just either accept it and move on and try to fix it? What is the point of saying, oh, no, it was, it was this person's fault?
0: And just just to reiterate that point, whenever a client complains, we dig into the problem. And we, in most cases, I mean, if we agree with them, we're giving, we're giving them full credits on the time.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: Yeah. You know. So, because it's helping us to get better too, uh, for them to point out the issues.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Now, I, I don't agree with point number three. It's interesting that you said uh, you agreed with. Well, no,
1: no, I was just going to say there's one caveat here. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. So ref, refuse. So the third one is they refuse to bite off more than they or they refuse to bite off more than you can chew. So, but you have to look at the framing of this. Okay, so it's not saying that they don't take on big problems or things, but it also basically says, um, so so here's what they say. When our great ideas are still just concepts floating around in our minds, we tend to think really big. And while thinking big isn't inherently bad, the downside is that it often makes the barrier for taking action quite high. In other words, we tend to overthink our projects to the point where they seem more complicated than they actually are. And so we stall again and again to give ourselves more time to repair. Uh So that I do agree with. And I think that it's, this is the thing about how do you go from idea to execution? Yeah,
0: right. I mean, I was, I was reading it. And the reason why I initially didn't agree, and I, I don't know if I ever talked to you about this. It's, it's how I, I, I approached doing homework in high school and college actually, that really was like a good hack for me, but I always started with not the highest priority t- uh, tasks. So I always started with the medium priority ones. Um, I'm, I and mean, of course, like just, this is just like general, um, because by doing that, it left me no choice but to pull an all-nighter if needed to force me to do the, the, the stuff that's absolutely necessary. And like that, I was able to really like bite off more than other people could chew because I'd put myself into these situations. I'd put my back up. I'd force myself into an uncomfortable situation where I had no choice but to you know push myself and get more stuff done.
1: But obviously, you weren't biting off more than you could chew because you got it done.
0: Yeah, but that was like my hack
1: to get it, you know, if I would have started, if
0: if I would have started with the highest priority, then I would have said, you know, fuck it, like, the other stuff, it's not that important, I'll, you know, push it off or something, you know?
1: Yeah, well, that's putting a positive restriction on yourself. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so number four, and again, I don't usually go through all of these when there's a list like this, but they're really good. Refuse to pretend that you must always be right. This was a struggle for me for a very, very long time. And the VA business in particular has really brought me out of my shell on this. And I talked about this before, how I crave the negative feedback now. And there is a a way to assume that you're not right while not setting yourself up for failure at the same time or making you think you're always wrong. But it's true, you immediately put up a wall if you assume that you're right in a situation. And it's, 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 it doesn't make sense. and it just gonna, it, A lot of this stuff really just leads to delaying the inevitable, which is really why it becomes unproductive.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, we've both gotten better at being open to negative feedback.
1: I would say so, and, and here's what they say. I mean, this is like us to a T now. Expecting to get it right the first time is an exercise in futility. Prototyping, testing, and iteration is vital to transforming a decent idea into a life-changing product or service which is what we've been trying to do. So, okay, here's a good one. Refuse to become distracted from your core objectives. Yeah, bing, no problem there. Uh, Refuse to focus on the negative. I agree. By the way, that is not the same thing as being obliviously positive, you know? So if something negative happens, which inevitably it does, and sometimes more often than not, and, and sometimes when it rains, it pours. But you fix it, you take responsibility, you don't wait, you do it and move on. Don't focus on the negative. Um, refuse to ignore the small wins that ultimately add up to big success. So that's another one where again, I talked about this in this exact in this episode where I said that there were there's literally been a time where I found something that would save Nick and I about seven seconds. It was the uh, invite bot. Remember how excited I was about that? Yeah. Um, So in our process, one of the things we have to do is onboard people to Slack, and it's fine. But you go to Slack, you put their email address, and you invite them. This is something that makes it so people can invite themselves to your Slack. And I was so excited about this thing that would save a little bit of time. And it's motivating. Having those kinds of little wins is hugely motivating.
0: Uh, You want me to tell you a little win I forgot to share with
1: you? Uh, Please.
0: Now now that we're switching over to QuickBooks since we fired in De Niro, um, QuickBooks has an integration with Toggle. Which oh my, is, god. <laughs> oh my god! I knew that, I, knew that would excite you. I forgot to tell you earlier today. I was really
1: excited. So, so toggle is if you don't know toggle, T it's O G G L it's our, it's the time tracking service that we use and that a lot of companies use to track how much time they spend on things. And uh, that that's awesome. So we're, we, we,
0: we, we use it to know how much to pay our contractor. So now it's going to feed directly into QuickBooks, which is also going to be handling our bookkeeping and payroll. So I have to dig in more, but the, there is a good chance that, we're going to automate a big part of paying
1: people. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. Thank you. Um, Okay. Number eight, refuse to be knowingly and endingly endlessly inefficient. Sometimes you have to invest time to save time. I mean, could you agree anymore?
0: (laughs) Oh, that's the hurdle with all this stuff though, right? Like (laughs) teaching someone in box zero, it's an investment. And that's the biggest hurdle with it, right? Getting people, you know, so many people, the people that need it the most are the ones that say, oh, I don't have time to, to dedicate a day to this. And they're the ones that actually need it the most.
1: Absolutely. And this is, and so, I mean, it, this is too obvious to me, but I want to share it for people because I get this question from people a lot. It's like, you know, they'll say like, at what point should I stop trying to optimize or automate something? And it says, um, for, you know, for example, perhaps you can complete a particular task in thirty minutes, and it would take three hours to implement a more efficient method. If that thirty-minute task must be completed daily, and a three-hour fix, would cut it down to ten minutes. It's a fix well worth investing in.
0: That to me is just common sense. A lot of people that, that we you don't work see it with, that way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I don't, I don't I don't know how you teach that. I mean, to me that's just obvious. But even some people that are like bombarded with stuff, rather than learning a way to make themselves more efficient, they would rather spend thirty minutes venting to you about how busy they are and showing you like a million things that they're working on that they are so busy about rather than using that 30 min- in that 30 minutes, you know, you could have like implemented like a zap for them.
1: Exactly. And, and, and the, the biggest one here, and, and I'd like everyone listening to sort of take note of this is that when you say to yourself, Oh, but it's not a repetitive process. I only do this once. It doesn't matter because it's a transferable skill. And if you get better at doing it for one skill, you're gonna be able to do, or sorry, one task, you'll be able to do it for another. And then when that, that task comes along that does recur every single day, it'll be easy for you to turn into some sort of automation. <laughs> Uh, So number nine is refuse to say yes to everything and everyone. Okay. That's easy. Say no more often. That's fine. And then the last one is refuse to accept the idea that rules are not meant to be broken. Sometimes (laughs) The
0: the double negatives in this are so hard to process when you're
1: tired. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) All right. I got it. (laughs) Good. So there you go. Uh, Okay. So uh, just a couple more things we got to share with everybody. Uh, I think that this is the last episode you're going to hear before our big BPO workshop that's coming up and we've got an awesome lineup of guests there's still I think one or two spots left if people are interested you can go to lessdoing.com slash workshop and again this is the business version of less doing so if you want to take your business to the next level you want to make it scalable you want to make it more profitable and reduce the odds of failure you should come to this workshop and check it out and yeah it's gonna be great so that's all I've got Nick, anything else to share
0: uh no that, that's it for me by the time this comes out the next version of calvin will be in the app store and we're getting some users and uh if you, you know please give it a try make plans with your friends and send me feedback good or negative preferably negative because that's how it gets better it's a nick at calvinapp.com and, yeah, that's, that's it for me.
1: Okay, awesome. Well, uh, and also the, the VA service is basically public at this point, guys. We're, we still consider it kind of beta because we're always fixing things. But you can so sign up now at lessdoist.com, uh, or you can go to lessdoing.com and click on the Assistant tab. Thanks, everybody, and have a very productive week. Now enjoy the interview with Jesse Yandell. The Less Doing Podcast pulls together the top experts in the industry to help you optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life so you can start doing the things you really want to do again. What would you do if you could only work an hour a day? Would you crumble or would you thrive? When I was sick with Crohn's disease, I was faced with that reality because there were days when I literally couldn't eke out more than an hour of work a day. And I had to figure out ways to not only get everything done, but get more done than I was doing before. And that is how Less Doing was born. Less Doing is about you. It's the easiest way to learn and implement a huge amount of productivity tips into your life in a short amount of time. Whether you're a crazy busy business owner, a tired executive in a large company, or a stressed out soccer mom, we've brought it all together for you to help you overcome the overwhelm in your life. For the latest how-tos and actual tips on becoming more productive, sign up for my newsletter over at lessdoing.com. But I want to offer you all something more. As listeners of this podcast, I want to give you the opportunity to get on the phone with one of my Less Doing certified coaches. I've trained each one of them myself, and they really know what they're doing. The first call is completely free, and you will get some real advice and tips on how you can be more productive in your life and get back to making things easier again. Thanks for listening, and now enjoy the interview. Now I'm speaking with Jesse Yandel, who's uh, had a career with the same organization for nearly two decades now, has managed billions of dollars of technology, hundreds of people, and I'm not talking about a Fortune 500 company. Uh, Jesse is a highly decorated officer in the Army and Special Forces Ranger. Uh, so, Jesse, it's a real honor to talk to you. Thank you for taking the time to, to be here.
2: Hey, thank you, Ari. Uh, just just to clarify, I was, I'm a non-commissioned officer in the United States Army and, uh, and a Ranger only.
1: Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for
2: clarifying. It's important. So, uh, you know,
1: first of all, a lot of people don't really know what the Rangers do necessarily. So, can you can you tell us a little bit about what what it takes to make a Ranger and what you guys specialize in?
2: The Seventy Fifth Ranger Regiment is the the nation's premier raid force. Uh, it's comprised of four Ranger battalions: First, uh, Second, and Third Ranger Battalion, which are uh, in. Savannah, Georgia, Columbus, Georgia, and... Uh, Joint Base lewis McCord respectively. And they also have a uh, Special Troops Battalion as well. Uh, people come to the Ranger Regiment in two ways. Uh, the first way would be to go right from the street through your initial entry training and then go to the Ranger Assessment and Selection Program 1, or known as RASP-1. And the second way is to serve uh, at a high level inside of the Army for a number of years and then apply for the uh, selection process uh, be successful in the selection process, and then move on to your uh, assigned Ranger Battalion. And I will tell you, at your assigned Ranger Battalion, every day is selection. And uh, it is something that uh, that we say in the unit where much is given and much is expected as well. Uh, I went the second part of that path. Uh, I served in the regular Army for approximately three years, uh, became a noncommissioned officer, and then applied to come to the unit. Uh, Thus, I was selected, and I went to 1st Ranger Battalion.
1: Okay, so now I've been to Fort Benning, I've been to Fort Bragg, and I've seen just a small sliver of what training looks like. And from what I saw was pretty intense. And obviously, the training has a dual purpose of not only preparing you for your later vocation, but also, as you said, is selection, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, just from a general standpoint, like what are the... I know this is going to sound weird, but like, what are the qualities that that really brings out? What 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 doesn't make the cut? Who doesn't make the cut?
2: Well, first and foremost, I mean, just like any selection inside the armed services, the first uh, key component is physical fitness, and from there, I mean, there's just critical events. There's a thing in the armed forces and in the special operations, special operations communities There's simply just known as the standard. You know, did you meet the standard for this physical event? Uh, There's no gray area uh, incorporated into the standard. It's just a pass or a fail. From there, I mean, the biggest thing I can uh, tell somebody that's going in the organization is just mental preparedness. And everybody that is in the organization was selected due to their potential of uh, becoming a leader. Uh, nobody is selected in the organization with the potential of just being a follower. And everybody that's promoted inside of the organization is promoted on their leadership potential. Uh, it's definitely a, a rigorous uh uh, training schedule that we go through throughout the year. I would say that we would typically train hardcore training for three weeks. Uh, we would take a week off to recover, uh, which all you're really doing during a recovery week is preparing for your next three to four weeks of hard training or your next event as you're called upon to be the national mission force and uh, close with and destroy the enemy where you're asked to do so.
1: Okay. So now I've spoken to other members of other branches of the armed forces. And and so this, I, I don't mean this in the juvenile sense of who would win in a bar fight, but when, when compared to like, uh, Navy SEALs or Marines or, uh, any of the other elite uh, groups of the various armed forces, wh- what would the Rangers specialize in that, that the others wouldn't, or where, where would they call in the Rangers instead, or first, or whatever?
2: Well, first and foremost, what makes a Ranger is is, is him and his teammate together. Uh, the most powerful thing on the battlefield is the Ranger fire team. The mission of the Ranger Regiment is to conduct forced entry uh, into a denied space. And that can be uh, a parachute salt into a uh, a country that we want to gain access into, uh, maybe secure an airfield or, you know, conduct a direct action raid in a place the enemy doesn't want us to be and they use, use it as safe harbor. Um, as far as uh, the first part of that question, that's something that I won't talk on. I will just tell you that... Uh, the most deadly thing on the on the battlefield is the ranger fire team and the ranger squad.
1: <laughs> that, that's fine. Um, well, and and so I mean, well, and then one more thing I, I have to know, I want to know about the training wise is is in terms of in terms of fear, and and I, I want to phrase this in a way that doesn't sound like I'm trying to be spiritual because I really this is this is a practical question for me is. You can say and you you can read stories about how, you know, you you train the fear out of you or you just don't. But obviously, fear is a tool. So whether this is a ranger thing or you personally, like how do you see fear as a tool in in what you've done in in the military as well as, you know, in in business?
2: Okay. so, you know, we take people's fear and we turn them into courage uh, and we do that by conducting realistic combat training uh, at all times. There is no such thing uh, in the. In the language of, you know, training for special operations or training as a ranger, where somebody would say, if this was combat, I would have done it this way. Uh, that's absolutely something that we do not say. It is never spoken of. Uh, everything we do is combat focused. That is what is going to allow you to fight and win in a combat scenario.
1: Gotcha. That's that's, very, uh, that's, that's a very good way to clarify it. Now... Uh, in terms of the, the, the your tours in the army i mean you've done
2: 15 right correct i have 15 rotations uh they span approximately 100 days and then we're typically home for 200 days oh
1: okay so that's so uh because i know that there's definitely parts or there's there's situations where people a tour might be up to 18 months right and that so that's not the rangers
2: No. uh, So uh, it's a little different in the organization based off the tempo that which we're expected to operate Um, doing counterterrorism. It it takes a lot out of your staff. It takes a lot of brain power, And quite frankly, uh, we are on target every night we could possibly get out. That was the lifestyle that we were expected to lead. And it's very taxing on the special operator after a while. Um, so we would go hard for 100 days, and by going hard on 100 days, I mean uh, I've hit a target four hours after getting in the country, and I've been on an airplane four hours after getting off target to head back to the U.S. Um, so we go hard for those 100 days. We come home, we conduct our recovery, uh, which is about a week and a half long. We take about two and a half, two weeks of uh, recuperation leave, and then the train is 100 miles an hour. Uh, for the next 170 days
1: and what is the what is the uh, week and a half of recovery look like
2: uh you know that that's, it's funny you say that because uh you know a lot of rangers when we were going through that uh through that era you know they would rather be deployed because they felt like they got more time to themselves but uh a week of recovery is just uh knocking out uh, everything you do need to do to recover your equipment, to uh, turn in what's broken, to take care of a ranger financially, mentally, and physically as well, and uh, get all your paperwork squared away because you assume the duty is the National Mission Force uh, approximately 45 to 60 days after we would get back from a rotation. So it wasn't necessarily like we had 200 days to get ready to go back to combat. You've got about 45 to 60 days to get ready to go back. Because you're going to be called upon and be on alert the entire time.
1: Right. So um, obviously, you must be extremely good at compartmentalizing things in your life, right? Because I
2: I, I would uh, call myself a professional at it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So and I'm really interested in that because, you know, at the end of the day, you're still a human being and you have a family. And I know that you have twins. Uh, mm-hmm. at this point, you know, so obviously, a, a, you know, a hundred day deployment, is not the same as an 18 month deployment, but that you're doing that multiple times. Uh, I, I mean, you're doing that at least more than once a year. So what, what is that like for family life and for you emotionally?
2: Well, I, one thing, uh, the organization, you know, prides itself on and invests quite a bit in is, you know, the, uh, resiliency of the Ranger. Um, And all the special operations units do that as well. So, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, pre-redeployment training that we'll do just to understand that guys know who they can turn to if they need help. There is kind of a sense of uh, downtime that's uh, expected once we get back, and it's given as well. Mm -hmm. I will tell you, commanders and leaders at all levels, you know, did their best at all times to power down the organization a little bit. Um, you know, it's commonly referred to as like drive it to the wheels run off or uh, yeah, right, You need the brakes ride, off. Yeah, ride it hard and put it away wet. You know, there there's a a lot of influence to power down the unit a little bit. As far as myself went, you know, I just tried to use different outlets that were healthy. Uh whether that was hunting and fishing, or, you know, the shooting sports, which I enjoy quite a bit. And, you know, what most rangers use to power down is they just use PT. And I would say that's something the, organiza- the special operations community invests in quite a bit is the functional fitness of the individual operator.
1: Yeah, no, no, that makes total sense. I, I mean, do do you see? I mean, I don't know if you haven't. I mean, if you have an opinion on this, but do you see like less PTSD symptoms or occasions in special forces and rangers than you do in sort of
2: infantrymen? Well. I mean, there's a stigma associated with people raising their hands, saying they have, and I'm going to remove the D from it already because I don't believe that it's a disorder. But yeah. anybody that's been through that type of pace and those types of environments um, for a long period of time or even for a short period of time is going to have some style of post-traumatic stress. Right. Now, it's 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 up to that person to use what's available to them because they're obviously going to be told what's available, and they're obviously going to be told what's going to be you know, a hindrance to them dealing with that type of stress. Um, some guys just don't get it right. That's why it takes a good uh, teammate, or as we say in the regiment, Ranger buddy, to kind of keep an eye on that, uh, that individual and let him know, like, hey, uh, I see what you're doing here. We talked about this in this course we were in together, and uh, I'm not going to allow you to do it or I'm going to I'm going to basically, you know, lead you to help, uh, which has been done many times. Now, you know, because of the uh the pace of the special operations community, there's a lot of assets that are available to uh, you know, to special operations units, but it's still up to the individual and his teammates to use them.
1: Yeah, no, that's it, a very good answer too. I mean, because I that's just I've had that conversation with with other uh, other operators. And that's just that that does mm-hmm. seem to be the case. It's like they just take a different approach. And, and it's just it's like you, you look at a uh, an Olympian Olympic athlete versus an amateur athlete. An Olympic athlete is going to take the recovery just as seriously as their training.
2: Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And I mean, as far as, you know, what's available to your average everyday infantryman or or I'll just use the term service member, you know, those assets are there. But I mean, it takes work to use them, not It's hard to use them, but you have to get up and show up to an appointment. You have to recognize the warning signs. That's the most important thing. And, I mean, well, I'll tell you that uh, no person is usually going to see their own warning signs. It's going to be that that teammate or that ranger buddy that's going to see those warning signs. And that's what's most important in my eyes.
1: Oh, and it's obviously a wonderful resource to have. And so now when you get that, so you're, you you're still an NCO, but you also are working with American Dream University and you've got your own ventures as well. You know, so how, how do you, I mean, as, as a master compartmentalizer, <laughs> how, how, how do you manage your current, like your schedule, your life? Like, what, you know, what does a day look like for you? Well,
2: um, so, you know, I, I use a term called do the routine things routinely. So there's a certain reason that I was going to be successful, you know, in the Ranger Regiment. And it's because I just continue to do those routine things right. And now that I'm backing off from my military career and I'm in my transition, I just don't change anything. I still get up the same time I used to. I still have What's like, that time. I get up at 530. OK, so. You know, I'm up at five thirty, which is a little bit later than I used to get up. I used to get up at four forty five, but quite frankly I don't have to travel. I'm already in my uh my office. So, you know, I'm up at five thirty. I do attempt to journal a little bit, get through to uh to get to inbox zero, uh first thing in the morning. <laughs> Sorry, shameless plug there. But uh I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> I try to get to inbox zero uh before I do anything else and uh you know, I do have a cup of coffee in the morning. I, I like to do something physical uh, very early. And then, uh, I'm using the, the freedom that I have right now to assist my wife in the morning. And if that's helping her get the kids to school, helping them get, uh, fed and off to their day, then that's what I, uh, I want to be doing. From there, uh, you know, I usually try to go and research whatever clients that we have available. And then I'm, uh, also working through my uh, transition point in the military as well. So yeah, it's strenuous, but, uh, you know, I like to use, uh, tools available to me that, uh, that let me power down a little bit. And me and my teammates, we use Slack, Trello, Evernote, you know, typical things out there that let me, uh, you know, optimize what I'm doing on a daily basis. <laughs>
1: I mean, it's it's awesome to hear that. I mean, it, it, you see, uh, if the the tools that we recommend, that I recommend on a regular basis to businesses and people are, are being used to power the life of
2: a, of a special forces or, you know, a ranger, I, I, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I, and so, Ari, I wish I wouldn't yeah. use those. I wish I had those five years ago. I, I couldn't even imagine where I'd be at if I used, you know, productivity the same way that I do now.
1: That's awesome. I mean, it's so w- one of the things—not to turn this on me at all—but one of the things that we do a lot now is what we call BPO, which is business process optimization. And it's incredible how much power uh, we can give an organization by getting them on Slack. And getting them to use Trello and organize and using them in an integrated way—it's really, it's fascinating uh, to see how these huge organizations don't have proper communication structures in place. And you know, Slack really does that really well. So that's—that's. That's, I didn't mean to go on a tangent, but I'm glad you mentioned that. So. Do you, in your current organization, in your current company, your, I know the coaching business and the podcast, do you have a, uh, you know, a quote-unquote ranger buddy, basically? Yes,
2: yeah, so my uh, my teammate is uh, also my co-founder, uh guy by the name of Trevor Shirk. Um, he's been on. Yes, he has. And uh, he's one that really turned me on to uh, not just what you do, but also American Dream You. Uh, I was kind of that uh, that cat calling at the... Uh, you know side of the wall getting pulled out of the house you know when he was wanting to say you know hey I really think you should check out this American Dream U thing and I was like I'm good I've already got a you know a path that I'm following uh, I really don't need any assistance and he just he just wouldn't <laughs> leave me alone about it and I just one day just kind of like opted in and that led to a phone call with uh the founder of American Dream U Phil Randazzo which then 30 days later led to my first American Dream U seminar which uh, I was actually fortunate enough to be the, the uh, kind of the project coordinator for that. And that's what really got me moving. Um, I coached Trevor through the uh, best ranger competition. And the uh, week after his uh, successful completion of that competition and a nice finish, you know, he asked me to uh, be his business partner in Uncommon Human.
1: Yeah. And so we actually talked about the best ranger competition uh, on a major with Trevor. So I won't go into that too much for people, but it is, uh, it's a very, very intense multi-day Absolutely. test of the best of the best of what's already the best of the best. So, uh, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, and, um, so now you're, you're doing, so what is Uncommon Human? Let's tell people what about that.
2: So, you know, Uncommon Human is set off to be a, uh, basically a a blog network and and a coaching company that allows people to get to the next level and impact the world. We want to show people stories about people that reach their full potential. And hopefully that will inspire them to do the same. And, and,
1: and you also have a podcast.
2: Uh, no, we have not started our podcast yet. We do have done, we have done some live, uh, some live events that we've posted on, uh, on uh, YouTube and Google as well, but we're also working in a uh, search engine marketing company right now. Uh, it's called Uncommon Columbia SEM, and what we want to do is, you know, leverage our targeting uh, skills that we learned, uh, basically doing route clearance and for Trevor and counterterrorism for me, and show people a level of professionalism. And a company that is going to use integrity to allow them to uh, reach their goals in their search engine marketing process.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, 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 basically the way I look at it is anything someone like yourself applies them to is going to be successful, which is, which is a great thing, obviously. Yeah. And uh, so backing up a little bit. So as somebody who's specialized and worked in counterterrorism, I, I mean, is it in your current life, you know, with your family, when you're traveling, is it ever hard to like turn that off?
2: For me, Ari, it's it's not. You know, I just maintain my vigilance. Um, It's nothing that uh, every American citizen uh, shouldn't be doing. You know, do the right thing at all times. Be nice to your fellow man, uh, and don't put yourself in a compromising situation. Um, That's really kind of the same way I operated my entire career, and it's been successful for me so far as well.
1: Yeah, I mean that makes that sound advice. So. The last question that I always like to ask on these interviews, I'd love to hear your response, is what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? And you can interpret that however you like.
2: Well, the biggest thing that uh, me and my teammate use is we want to become confident first, then become self-reliant. We're working on our skills at all times to become that self-reliant company. Obviously, I want to continue to live with discipline and humility it's it's a comment that I like to say is what got me here will not get me there so I have to continue to to live with discipline and humility and then really just maintain and balance Um, the balance that I how I serve my family how I serve my professional life and then how I serve my fellow man when I try to give back everything that's been given to me throughout my life
1: Well, that's an awesome answer. (laughs) Thank you, Jesse. Um, So that was like really perfect. Uh, Okay. So we'll have everything in the show notes, of course, but where can people find out more about Uncommon Human and everything that you're working on?
2: So Uncommon Human is www.uncommonhuman.com. Our marketing company is Uncommon Columbia SEM. And then both myself and Trevor can be found, uh, uh, on our LinkedIn accounts, and as well as you can follow me uh, on Facebook, and then we're on Twitter as well.
1: Awesome. Well, Jesse, thank you, thank you for your service to the country and for everything that you have done and continue to do. And it's been a
2: real honor speaking to you. Thank you, Ari, and you know you set a great example for people to improve their lives. And I appreciate you reaching out to me. Um, I've learned a lot from you. Your first class.
0: Thank you. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing podcast. If you want to find out more information of the show, we would love to hear from you. You can go to lessdoing.com where you can look at Ari's blog, see the show notes for this episode and also look at all the other episodes before this. If you want to send us a voicemail, we would love to hear from you and we'll play it on the show. You go to lessdoing.com, click on contact and look on the right side of the page where you'll see a, a send voicemail button. Click on that and go ahead and record an audio message for us. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter. Ari's Twitter handle is at Ari Meisel and mine is at Felix Bird. We hope you
2: enjoyed this podcast. See you next time.